Blog Talk Radio. BAMS Radio. We are uh, back, and Drew, I'm joined by Drew DeArmond, our other host, but uh, Yep, welcome, have... Thomas. I'm glad to be with you, bud. Yeah, sorry, sorry. We had a, we had a momentary drop there. I apologize. But uh, I, I have to take a moment and do my bad white guy dance, and believe me, there is no dancing that I do that is not bad white guy dancing, because <laughs> there is SEC Media Days has come and gone. The college football season, at least down here, is... Uh, officially official and it is started and i am excited so you know before we get into it though Drew, i have to give you props and i always do this every week but you know you deserve it we have a hell of a show planned for tonight so uh you put most of it together i will let you tell our good folks listening either live or on our podcast what we got going on so, so take it away sir absolutely and again it's great to be with our listeners tonight on this Thursday, BAMS Radio, SEC Media Days now in the rearview mirror. So football season is upon us. Spent uh, the last four days in uh, Hoover, Alabama, uh, doing a lot of radio and speaking to a lot of people, getting uh, their insight and ideas into how this SEC race uh, may play itself out uh, this season, Thomas. And my second SEC Media Days, it's always a circus. Uh, it especially was on Wednesday uh, when Nick Saban let off uh, the festivities, and we know now uh, most of our listeners and everyone has seen what ha- what transpired between uh, Coach Saban and, and Paul Feinbaum having to do with the issue of Cam Robinson, who Coach Saban has basically now said, and we've been reporting this on BAM's radio, uh, that since the charges were dropped and uh, barring any further disciplinary issues, and there hasn't been any uh, really throughout his career for Cam Robinson, and uh, for or from Hootie Jones for the most part, that both those guys, if they take care of the internal discipline, and I think they have, they are expected to be in the lineup against Southern Cal, which is huge for Alabama when it comes to Cam Robinson, who's really an alpha dog guy who I still think has a very good chance of being a team captain in the end. Or at the, And if he's not a team captain, he's still going to be considered one of the team and definitely the leader of the O-line, but got a chance to speak to O.J. Howard at SEC Media Days, uh, Jonathan Allen, uh, and Eddie Jackson. All three of those guys impressive. I think they're all taking leadership roles, and Coach Saban seems to be very satisfied with, with where this team is, and you know they, they haven't decided on a quarterback. He admitted that. Still got four guys competing for the job, but overall, I think he still thinks it's a very talented football team and uh, with a lot of pieces uh, for success, and the media obviously agrees. Thomas Alabama was a runaway favorite to win the SEC. I was kind of surprised. I thought many of them might go with LSU. Many I talked to were doing that. Of course, I didn't. Uh, did not pick 
uh, the, the LSU Tigers to win the West. I do have Alabama winning it, and uh, I have them uh, uh, taking on. And a little bit of a surprise, the Florida Gators in the East. I think Coach McElwain is going to out-coach Butch Jones, and I'm not uh, buying into the hype train, uh, kind of known as uh, uh, the Tennessee Vols, because trust me, Thomas, if you were in Birmingham, the, ten- the Vol Nation thinks they're going to the college football playoff and probably winning the national championship. You know, they hadn't beat Florida in 11 years. Uh, they hadn't beat Alabama in nearly a decade. But Butch Jones, they've completely bought in. They, they, they believe that since they had the near misses last year, they got a lot of talent back. They're going to take that next step. But I'm not buying it, and uh, I don't have them winning the division. Matter of fact, uh, I almost picked them third. But, uh, but I, I've got the predicted order finish for me uh, at SEC Media Days. Uh, in the, I'll go with the East first and save the best for last. But I have Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Missouri, South Carolina, and Kentucky in that order. And then in the West, this is going to please our listeners to no end, I have Alabama winning the division, LSU second, uh, my sleeper in the, in the West, Arkansas third, Texas A&M fourth, Ole Miss fifth, Mississippi State sixth, and the Auburn Tigers, who will be looking for a new head football coach last. Wow. That is uh... – <laughs> That, that's that's a little stunning. You, you know, it was interesting talking about the Auburn Tigers. Gus Malzahn comes to Birmingham and, quite frankly, sunshine pumps for his entire his entire you know circumstance and just ignores like just almost he's able to frankly sidestep a lot <laughs> of the oh you're on the hot seat coach well no I, I took too much of a I did this and I did this wrong last year and it's not going to happen this year and and I, I'm I'm left completely wamboozled and I'm just like, okay, guys, um, I yeah. don't see, you know, just, I, I, it, it shocks me because we're talking about a program that a guy that's supposed to have the offensive genius who couldn't find a quarterback last year in a quarterback driven system. Folks think they found one in John Franklin, the third, because John Franklin, the third was, you know, much ballyhooed recruit. And, uh, he was, he's a Nick Marshall light. And, when I heard that, my first thought is, and you'll have to just pardon me here, Nick Marshall as a spread offense option quarterback, if you look at it, he was one of the best. Like he, He's probably, since the spread options really become a thing, he might be top three but in the past you know, five to seven years. And so I, I, I don't. I don't buy much of that. I, it's hard for me to believe that Auburn will be last because Mississippi State is um, – well, I think I think everybody's going to be cheering for Mississippi State to lose after that ham-handed Jeffrey Simmons thing from Dan Mullen. His, his, that, that was ham-handed at best this past <laughs> week. Yeah, but, I don't uh, think uh, Dan Mullen – pardon me, Thomas. I'm no, go sorry ahead. for the interruption. I was just going to say I don't think that SID at Mississippi State had uh, Dan Mullen coached up. Uh, they – they handle that situation about as poorly as you could handle it, and you know. And when you compare it to the Reverend Hugh Freeze, who today finally spoke to the media, and I thought really handled it well. Uh, but it, as he said, this is going to be the new mantra for the Ole Miss Rebels. Time will tell, and yes, it will tell uh, as far as how it plays out uh, with that investigation. And I, you know, uh, but I will say, Thomas, I heard some new buzz down in Hoover and. I, and right before Hoover, and I just really think they're in big, big trouble. I, I'm, I'm even hearing they may get a second letter, and if they do, it could contain some very damaging charges. And 
I, I one uh, prominent uh, former Alabama football player I talked to uh, at in Hoover even believes Hugh Freeze might not make it to the first game. I think he does, but as far as his future, I would think it's going to be in doubt. Well, uh, that is shocking. Uh, that is, you have caught me completely flat-footed. Uh, <laughs> I had not heard that, but I guess if you if you really sit down and think about it. The investigation and the reply or whatever it was was well on its way to completion. You know, they had they had published the notice of allegations and they'd prepared their response and then Ole Miss had to delay it in response to let's just call it the Laramie Tunsil situation for fans of uh for fans of, you know, what's his name? Uh pulp fiction. <laughs> Quentin yes. Tarantino, thank you. Yes. The Bonnie situation, the Laramie situation. You know, that uh that was a bombshell on draft night. Now, the marijuana is not a big deal. Uh, okay, it is a big deal, but it's not a big deal in the eyes of the NCAA. But the, yes, I took money, and here are some text messages to coaches that I took money. Yeah, that's a real big problem. So if a second notice of allegations, a second letter, or whatever the official terminology is, is uh, forthcoming, buckle up in Oxford because uh, – Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't. I, after what I heard this in the last several days, Thomas, I think they're going to get 25 scholarships or so, uh, plus a bowl ban. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, smacking. And we all know there's collateral damage. And to me, Ross Bjork, the AD, and Hugh Freeze, uh, the head football coach, should rent, not buy, because it's going to be a turbulent ride. And, again, that's why I took the new mantra is, Hugh Freeze kept repeating, "Time will tell," and yeah, we will see. Well, uh, I'll uh, I'll believe that time will tell when uh, when Ole Miss is cleared of all charges because that yeah, I, I mean that is that is that is stunning because to Hugh Freeze's credit, if you if you're willing to put aside the dubious nature of some of these situations, the the, the smoke surrounding these seasons, Ole Miss hasn't been this good since. You know, Johnny Vaught. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's been a long, long time. So, uh, you know that that's 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 rough because it's it's almost like and I'm sure Redfish would agree, and I hope you will too. It's almost like what happened to Alabama with Bo Davis, but you know, amplified. Coaches are not looking for jobs in July or August. You can I can tell you that just straight up. So that would be that would be oogly boogly, and uh, couldn't happen to a better group of people. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, I, I think the thing to focus on, you know, for the rest of our little fifteen-minute opener, what I have dubbed the Sa- Feinbaum Sabin flap. <laughs> that, that's kind of what it was. I thought it was much ado. I, I still think it was much ado about nothing. You know. Paul Feinbaum tried to, you know, get it, get after Nick Saban, and Nick Saban kind of chopped his dick off. That, that's, that's kind of what happened. And it was funny, but what were your impressions of the whole situation uh, dealing with uh, coming from that audio, and then the parent after off-air stuff where Nick Saban just, you know, let Paul Feinbaum have it apparently. Well, you know, I wasn't surprised, and I got a chance to speak today on my radio show, my daily show, ninety-seven-seven on ninety-seven-seven The Zone. Uh, the RESPN affiliate here in Huntsville, uh, to Derek Mason, the NFL wide receiver who played for so many for 15 seasons, mostly with the Titans and the Ravens. And 
he played for Coach Saban with the uh, Michigan State Spartans when he first became, got his first major head coaching job. And he, he basically told us that's just Coach Saban uh, being the shield and protecting his uh, kids and really treating his kids, as he said, like his sons. And he considers them his children. And he was just protecting Cam Robinson because he knows more about the situation than anybody. And bottom line is, uh, he felt like, you know, Feinbaum was uh, baiting him and, and uh, you know, kind of uh, talking about, well, Cam Robinson, why aren't you suspending him when, you know, he doesn't even know what all happened in the incident. And plus the charges were dropped. Why should somebody be suspended if the charges are dropped? And they don't really know uh, what he's gone through. He has discipline the young man, but because he's not uh, right now scheduled to miss playing time, uh, they, they, you know, all these people panic and say, well, he's not ready. He, there's not enough discipline on his football team when they don't really know the whole story and, and, uh, and not nearly enough. I can see that. Uh, and I think I, I agree. I mean, we've said, like you said, we've said it on BAMs after, you know, folks talked, you talked to folks, I talked to folks, Jimmy Stein came on and give, you know, elaborated excellently on the legal side of things we kind of felt like it was much ado about nothing, and I guess the rest of the country is just catching up. I, I, I hate to just you know throw 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 a wet blanket on the situation, but that just doesn't it doesn't seem like something that should have even really been brought up aside from doing due diligence. And the other thing that makes me laugh, aside from Feinbaum asking Saban about it, is the sudden brouhaha. The, you know, clutching of one's pearls that reporters didn't ask Nick Saban about Cam Robinson during his introductory press conference. And, you know, Drew, you've been in press rooms, but I'll I'll break it down for folks that have never been in a media room. You were sat in a room at a table. You raise your hand and several thousand things could happen. You could get the mic to ask a question. You could not, or you can stand there looking like a gooper with your hand in the air. Well, getting to ask a question is not a preordained thing. If you raise your hand, you might not get to ask a question. There are sports information people that work in the Southeastern Conference that if they don't like your publication, you're going to have a hard time asking that coach questions. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just – that's just reality. You know, I'm not interested in the kumbaya BS that a lot of people spin in this. If you do something to tick off a sports information department, they do not have to give you a mic to ask a question. Especially so, at Alabama. Well, I wasn't saying that, but I was saying that. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's the dynamics of a press conference. Like, maybe the sports writers had to do stuff. Like yeah. maybe, but anyway, you know, I just I wanted to break that down a little and get your thoughts on that. You know, I, I, if that was another tempest in a teapot, while well, I work on redfish. Well, you know, I, everybody knew that people the people were going to tread lightly. We were all joking that the first person to bring up Cam Robinson was going to set Coach Saban off, and he was it was brought up in the radio internet room. You know, Travis Ryer asked about it. He was the first one at Bama Online, and it needed to be asked. But then. The way Feinbaum approached it, he didn't say, well, as far as Cam Robinson, we know you have certain ways you discipline young men. What is the update on him? Instead, he said, why didn't you suspend Cam Robinson? Why are you going to play him? He, you know, he approached it in an adversarial type way. 
And when you do that with Nick Saban, he is going to react and going to react aggressively. And that's what he did, and he continued to aggressively uh, discuss it with Feinbaum off the air. He didn't like the way the question was asked, and I don't really blame him. I mean, because Paul didn't know, you know, all, the whole story. And But Feinbaum is good at what he does, and he got um, uh, he, uh, the uh, – the, uh, and he got the reaction he wanted. It caused a lot of controversy and stirred a lot of things up. He was still Coach Saban was still getting criticized today. But most people with any sense that know about his process and the program and, and what he makes young men do is these guys have been internally punished. And he, he and in Coach Saban's mind, he's more worried about the young man not making the same mistake again and especially not penalizing the rest of the football team. But – both these guys could be, you know, in much bigger trouble, uh, you know, if they don't, uh, if they get into any more controversy. But honestly, I don't expect it, especially with Cam Robinson, uh, who's, uh, who uh, is, is, uh, is, uh, has never really been a, a problem at all. I mean, he's, he's been a, a, a model citizen, uh, been one of the toughest football players on the entire team. And, uh, and, and, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he, he's been hurt, you know, a lot and banged up his first two years. I've, I've told the story of the end of the SEC championship game where he had to kind of be carried off the field by a graduate assistant and into the locker room because he got hit in the head at halftime and his back was bothering him. And of course he had a knee issue all year long and he was never a hundred percent healthy. I think his shoulder gave him some problems, but he, but it was, it's one of those things if it ain't broke, gotta go. And he always has shown a lot of toughness. He was—he didn't go through the spring a lot because they needed him to heal up. He didn't do anything, but he was leading the team and still being an alpha dog. And and I remember him saying last year that the O line was uh, Ryan Kelly's group, and uh, the and it was, he was the leader of that unit. Well, I think uh, the torch has been passed to Cam Robinson. He's been trying to uh, lead the team and then do what he needed to do. And uh, he and, and I know some people have questioned now will he be respected in the locker room because of what has happened to him. Uh, as long as he does what he's supposed to do, uh, you know I think uh, I, I think uh, that uh, that he'll be fine. And I you know and I, and I think he'll. Uh, I don't expect again. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. And I'm gonna stick my neck out. I don't think Cam Robinson will get into another uh, bit of trouble. He'll perform well. He'll move on to the NFL and be a high draft pick. But Coach Saban was just, you know, protecting his guy. And uh, he knows Cam has been a, a good guy and a good member of the program. And he's paid his uh, dues as well with what happened with this situation. And now uh, he's going to be reinstated to the team. And I know now we do have William Redford-Sparger on the Sunbelt 10 hotline. And, William, you have been outspoken about this. You said if the charges went and if they were reduced or, or dismissed uh, – that uh, he would not miss any playing time, and it looks like Coach Saban confirmed that this week. Well, you know, I think Drew, you have to look at the, uh, you know, the circumstances, and I think you just touched on them. You're talking about somebody um, who's never had any problems at all. Um, you know, he won the, the, you know, the Mal Moore Leadership Award in the spring. Um, this, you know, that this whole situation was totally out of character. Um, for what Cameron Robinson has, you know, put his footprint on um, since his, you know, career began three years ago at Alabama. And, you know, I understand the uproar. You know, people look at the thing and they say, 
or they see, you know, a gun, you know, some drugs, and, you know, why is this happening? But, you know, I would say to, you know, Alabama fans, you know, go back two years ago when Geno Smith got his second DUI. And, you know, we can debate all night long about, you know, whether two DUIs are more or less severe than, you know, a marijuana and a gun charge. But, you know, I think the precedent has been set that, you know, Nick Saban is a head coach that's going to handle things internally. Um, You know, he's going to educate the player. Um, There's going to be, you know, some some punishment, uh, but they're going to handle it internally. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, what are we all debating and what are we all talking about? It's all clutter. Um, You know, the best college football coach in the last mm, three decades has his handle on this. And if this is what he says thinks needs to happen, I'm on board with it. I am as well. I completely agree. He knows his football team very well. And, again, you also have to look at the past history of the player uh, and, of course, the, what the transgression was. Uh, you know, Cam, we already talked about it, has been a leader. As you said, got the Malmore Leadership Award, uh, that excellent point. And he had not been in any trouble, had shown a lot of physical toughness, mental toughness. Uh, as, you, as you were coming on, as I was saying, he played with, he's played with injuries throughout his two years. Uh, he was really banged up severely after the uh, SEC championship game. Had to be helped off the field uh, by a graduate assistant, uh, but he played the whole game and uh, he's been a a a model uh, student athlete for Alabama. And then Hootie Jones, he hadn't been in much trouble, hadn't played a lot, but now with the uh, uh, kind of segue and tra- the, the likely transfer of Maurice Smith uh, being gone, he could compete for that dime slot or in. But, William, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because there was some talk about Maurice Smith this week. Now maybe zeroing in on Georgia instead of uh, the uh, of Miami. And I don't blame Alabama for this. It looks like Alabama is trying to uh, in some way block that and uh, keep it from happening. And I've had people, you know, contact me and say, well, Alabama just needs to let him go. They look bad in this situation. But I wouldn't – I would fight it as well if he was trying to transfer within the conference because that's going to set a bad precedent. No, I totally agree with you, Drew, and I think you have to kind of, you know, look at these, you know, transfers on a case-by-case basis. And, uh, you know, if this was, you know, 15 years ago, you know, if that's what Maurice Smith wanted to do, you know, a la Chris Donnelly, a guy that played with me that, you know, transferred from Vanderbilt down to Alabama, you know, kind of took a step down. But, you know, back then, the deal was if you transferred, you know, within the conference, you sat out two years. Right. And, you know, that's what Chris Donnelly was, you know, tasked with when he went from Vanderbilt to Alabama. And, you know, I think that's – you know, obviously, this is a, you know, a Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban type situation. Um and, and, you know, the, the coaching staff was taught, you know, kind of caught totally off guard um, with Mo wanting to leave, number one. Um, you know, again, you know, they're trying to protect their own interest. And, um, you know, I don't know how the, you know, the situation is going to play out and what the end result is going to be. But, 
you know, that's a deal where, you know, Nick Saban is, you know, sitting on the top of the mountaintop of, of college football. And, you know, he's got a guy that, you know, they had pegged as being somebody that they thought was going to really, really help them uh, in the 2016 season. And, you know, if he wants to transfer away from Alabama, uh, you know, he can drop down to another classification or, you know, maybe go to, you know, a, a Miami away from the SEC. But I don't blame Alabama for the way they've handled this. No, I don't blame them either. You can't. It would open up Pandora's box. Or there could be tampering. There could be a lot of schools trying to get fifth-year transfers to transfer within the league. Also, to give up secrets in the in the program, give them insight into your into your football team, and uh, you just can't do that. And I completely agree. And uh, and then now, uh, what we all what I also wanted to talk to you about is there could be some more roster attrition. And, you know, here it started hearing last night, and this is someone that you had said, uh, you know, uh, both on and off the air could end up being a transfer. It looks like there's some buzz that uh, Christian Bell, who has only been with the program a little over a year, or excuse me, actually he delayed his enrollment. I apologize. He, uh, he, he, uh, but he, he, uh, he, 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 he's only, he still had, he has not been on the, campus a full year yet it's i guess what i was the point i was trying to make from hoover alabama uh someone that he uh he was a little injured when he was a senior and he decided to delay his enrollment but it looks like he could see the writing on the wall and may transfer are you talking about christian bell right christian bell correct yeah i think you know that's you know something that needs to be talked about you know on one hand you know but at the same time i, I think you know People are making more about this than needs to be made. I mean, when you when you get a guy that, that comes in, you know, that's been at a, a high-profile job for, for the last two or three years, and Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, this new defensive coordinator, he's obviously going to have a, um, you know, a different perspective on players and how they fit into his system um, versus Kirby Smart system. So, you know, there's going to be departures. And, you mm-hmm. know, you've seen, you know, several of them, you know, parlay out so far. But, you know, I think what you have to look at is, you know, there was a list made, um, you know, back in December, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, the list is, is pretty, uh, you know, forthcoming. You know, Sean Burge-Becker, uh, Johnny Dwight, Josh McMillan, Christian Bell, um, you know, even a guy like Tony Brown, which I don't think, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to win that battle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, all people that, you know, he kind of wanted to see exit off of the Alabama program. But, you know, what that is, is that's, you know, a, a new defensive coordinator versus a guy that's, you know, kind of been in place at Alabama for, you know, you know, damn near 10 years and Kirby Smart. Those are two different philosophies that are clashing. And, you know, somebody has to lose that battle. And I think you're seeing some of the fallout from that with, with guys that are losing that battle. Yeah, that's a great point, William. And, and, uh, and speaking of that, uh, we had a decommitment today in the 2017 class, and it was no surprise to me. I did not have him on my final uh, 
you know, 25 to 28 uh, on the signee list, uh, you know, come February. Uh, in Xavier McKinney of Roswell, Georgia, he is now decommitted after just saying a few hours earlier he was 100% Bama. But I had heard the, the coaching staff's uh, basically contact with him had been minimal uh, and, and not consistent. And it, to me, it looked like the, the very fact that he may not have fit into Jeremy Pruitt's plans, and Jeremy's kind of tweaking what Coach Saban's been signing and kind of trying to uh, – we know how good an evaluator and recruiter Jeremy Pruitt is, but he may be kind of trying to bring in a different breed of athlete uh, and a different, more versatile prospects uh, in uh, the University of Alabama in the next few years. Well, you know, I don't think it's any sacred that uh... – you know, obviously Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart um, have different philosophical um, reasons, you know, on guys that, you know, they decide to take yeah. or they don't take. And, uh, you know, there was a, a pretty hard concrete list on, you know, the guys that, that Jeremy felt like um, were not Alabama guys. And, and, you know, it gets into a situation where, you know, people want to sit there and say, well, um, you know, I'm an Alabama fan, and, you know, how can anybody go against what Kirby Smart and Nick Saban has done, you know, in the last 10 years? Well, you know, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't feel that same way. And, right. you know, he has to uh, – you know, he walks into that situation and, you know, being gone for the last three years, um, you know, he, he looks at, you know, the talent level that he's he's got to deal with. And so, you know, I think there's there's no real secret why Sean Burgess Becker and, um, you know, all these other guys um, are being, uh, you know, kind of cards that are being dealt off and, and, and being processed. But I think Xavier McKinney kind of falls into that same category. Um, I think that, you know, Jeremy Pruitt feels like he can grade at the safety spot uh, beyond Xavier McKinney. Um, I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, his recruitment becomes a Georgia-Clemson battle, and we'll see how that works out. But uh, but I I feel like Jeremy Pruitt and, and, you know, Nick Saban have a lot of safety-type prospects um, in front of them that they feel like they can get. And I also feel like that that is a position of need um, that has kind of been somewhat uh, devalued based on the number of DBs that they took in last year's class. Mm. You know, when you start looking, you know, at a guy like Shaheen Carter that's down there right now balling out and showing that, you know, He's a guy that can play early and often this year on the 2017 team. And then talk about that a little bit, William, some of those newcomers. You know, we said something about uh, those the defensive backs class. Uh, we, we, you know, we already talked uh, in what a conversation that was uh, with Coach Glenn uh, at Deerfield Beach uh, recently on BAMS Radio, talked about Aaron Robinson, but – and he was a, 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 a cherry picked by Jeremy Pruitt. But talk about that class as a whole. It looks like, and uh, you just you know you just uh, talked a little bit about it. You can expand on it with the Shyam Carter. But it looks like that could be a really good four man group. Yeah, and you know I, th- I think that's a a huge uh, 
addition to the Alabama program, you know, those those guys that they brought in last year, you know, when you start talking about, you know, the Diggs kid and, you know, Carter and, and Robinson, you know, a guy that, you know, I think Alabama was able to uh, kind of cherry pick away from, uh, you know, Jim McElwain of Florida because they felt like he couldn't get eligible grade-wise. You know, they got a ton of DBs. I mean, you know, we're sitting here, uh, what, three weeks away from the start of a fall practice. And, uh, you know, nobody's even talking about Nigel Knott, um, who was one of the top defensive backs in the country last year. Now, he's probably going to have to go the way of Marlon Humphrey. And what I mean by that is he's probably going to have to sit out um, his true freshman year. Now, he might play special teams, but he's too small to go out there and compete as a boundary corner. But, uh, you know, th- th- they've got so much depth down there, Drew. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at, at the DB spot, at the O-line spot, at the wide receiver spot, even at the quarterback spot, depending on, you know, how all the stuff plays out between now and January. Um, you know, when you start talking about, you know, you know, after Cam Robinson leaves, you know, shifting Jonah Williams over to left tackle, uh, Alex Leatherwood coming in at right tackle, you got a guy like, you know, Scott Lashley over there. Um, it, it, it really is. And, you know, I hate to use this term because I think it's a, uh, a very corny Internet term, but it truly is at many, many different position groups. It's an embarrassment of riches. It really is. I mean, and uh, and I think uh, in your mind after that, uh, and we and, uh, and another big time member of that group that I know we both like is Jared Maiden. Uh, in in your mind, uh, how many defensive backs do you see Jeremy Pruitt taking in this class in 2017? I was thinking three or four tops, per, probably perhaps three. What are your What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree with you because I think what you're going to see, Drew, is it's going to flip-flop. You know, you're going to see him take mm-hmm. at least four or maybe five if Jeff Thomas can get his grades. Um, Why he's too, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, too, too, too talented to leave on the table unless, you know, he doesn't prove that he can get his grades. And, you know, that would be, you know, Jeff Thomas – Henry Ruggs, Devonta Smith, the Shavers guy. And, you know, people want to sit there and say, well, you know, what about Nico Collins? You know, right. the Nico Collins situation um, is, is kind of been negated and, and downgraded based on, you know, Alabama getting the Shavers kid that's, you know, six foot six. Um, you know, where where the need is in this class and what I think, you know, Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt and Wayne Kiffin have to focus on is, you know, on the other side of the football with, you know, five technique defensive ends, um, you know, three technique defensive tackles. You know, we've already talked about one in the kill buyers. And I think that young man has, uh, you know, I'm not saying he's Marcel Darius. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Josh Frazier is Marcel Darius, but Josh Frazier and Akil Byers have some Marcel Darius qualities about them, um, which could be, you know, could prove to be very valuable 
for Alabama. But I think what you have to look at, you know, as an Alabama fan, is what the needs are for this recruiting class. And it's not at quarterback. It's, you know, not an offensive line. It's it's not at DB. It's really and truly on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And that's what wins championships. It's, it's you know, go, go back and look and, and you know, tell me, uh, how many championships did Jimbo Fisher win with, in my mind, the best, you know, college quarterback that Alabama's put out in the last 50 years, Jameis Winston? He won one. Uh, look at what happened after he left. Uh, they lost four games, including to Georgia Tech. So this is a lead, Drew, that puts a value on both sides of the line of scrimmage, and that's where you know it comes down to whoever gets the best players for both sides of the line of scrimmage. Those are the guys you're going to see in the college football playoffs. And I agree because Coach Saban has always talked about building the program from the inside out uh, for the defensive line and uh, and the O line. That's why Alabama has dominated in the trenches. But now what we're seeing, and do you think now with uh, Jeremy Pruitt taking over, and I was talking to some some people about this during the week at SEC Media Days, William, in Hoover, that Jeremy is just, and I've I've tried to explain this to people, and I'm not disrespecting Kirby. He did some great work in 11 years with Coach Saban, nine at Alabama, eight of those as defensive coordinator. But uh, but when you look at it, he, he was a very good teacher coach, but uh, and, and, and I think Jeremy is close to being as good uh, as, uh, as as uh, Kirby in the same regard. But I know where he's already superior, and that's as a, as a uh, evaluator recruiter. Now, Kirby is a pretty good recruiter uh, when you can stick him on a Rashawn Evans, who is uh, is a very good player, and you know he's elite. But what I what I know Kirby is not great at is evaluating because most of these young men. Had, it, maybe it's a coincidence that we've seen that are moving on. Uh, really, maybe sans Christian Bell, but still, a lot of these kids that have transferred lately uh, to other programs have been Kirby Smart evaluations, and uh, they're recruiting really well at Georgia right now. But at the same time, I think as Jeremy Pruitt stays at Alabama, he has a chance to even be a better defensive coordinator. It's a lot of pressure, but better than Kirby Smart because we all know he's already won a national championship. He already brought up at Florida State. And we saw what he was trying to do at Georgia, but I think a lot of it had to do with the head coach he was working for and, as you've already pointed out, an administration that wouldn't completely commit to football. But uh, I, I'm just really excited. I think Jeremy can almost take this thing to the next level. But what, I guess the, my, the, my, uh, the rest of my question is, with, these de- with this defensive line group, are we going to see Alabama continue to evolve and maybe uh, Jeremy Pruitt recruit a different type of defensive lineman? Absolutely, Drew. Uh, you know, Jeremy is more of a – and, you know, I think this is something to, you know, as an Alabama fan, to pay really close attention to. You know, he's more of a – you know, the the, the thing that – the foundation that, that this dynasty has been built on, um, you know, it's no big secret. It's It's signing the – the biggest, faster, stronger people that can play college football. 
And, you know, I think when, you know, Nick got the job in, in January of 07, you know, that was the MO. But something that happened along the way was, you know, the Johnny Manziels, uh, the Kim Newtons. Um, you know, you saw it play out, uh, you know, last January with Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, th- there are athletes at, at at every level of the offensive, you know, stage that kind of skew that a little bit. And, you know, I, the reason I think things are going to be different going forward are, you know, the reason that you saw Rashawn Evans get, you know, inserted into the defense, which I thought was, you know, a quarter and a half late, um, was, you know, hey, we're gonna we're gonna bring this guy in that's, uh, you know, runs a four five forty, and you know we're gonna have him spy on Rashawn Evans. I mean, not Rashawn Evans, but uh, Deshaun Watson, and you saw the results. Um, you know, the thing that I think everybody needs to think about, as far as the evaluations and the product that gets put on the field, you know, this isn't. 2007 anymore you know it, it's 2016 and so if you start thinking about you know the teams that they have to play the schemes that they have to play you know it used to be if you were an Alabama fan and you know a guy that was a Nick Saban fan it was you know go beat LSU every year um, you know they're going to pound your ass into the into the ground and, you know, unless they, you know, trot Brandon Harris out there this year, uh, how much different is that going to be, uh, you know, than last year when, you know, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban derailed, you know, Leonard Fournette's Heisman Trophy campaign. Um, so I think you have to look at that and say, well, that's probably not going to happen. But, where it becomes problematic is the dual threat quarterback guys. And, you know, there's not that many, many of them left uh, on the national level, despite the guy named Deshaun Watson. You know, that's, that's the new Cam Newton. And I don't think there's any secret about that, but um, I think what you're going to see, Drew, out of Jeremy Pruitt is he's going to devalue, um, you know, guys like A. Sean Robinson and and Jaron Reed. And, you know, people will say, well, you know, why would you devalue a guy like that? That That's not what I'm saying. You know, they all still have a, a part, you know, in the whole thing. But when you look at the landscape of the schedule, you know, like like next year, 2016, USC, um, A&M, Tennessee, um, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, there is a big, big need for guys playing space. And, you know, that's substituting a guy like Deshaun Hand for a guy like Sean Robinson. You know, that's substituting a guy like a, uh, Rashawn Evans for a Reggie Ragland. Um, 
you know, what, what you're going to see, I think, you know, the question that you asked me is, what's the difference from last year to this, to, to uh, this year? Um, it's speed. And he doesn't care if they're undersized. He wants speed. And that's a great point, William. Uh, and I think that's where the game is going. He He's more worried about guys going sideline to sideline. Uh, that was a big topic of SEC media days, being able to play in space. Um, and I think uh, that's where Alabama's defense – You st- it, it, as we've talked about, the, you know, Kirby and Coach Saban probably waited a couple years too late, but it really started to take hold last year, and it's going to continue with Coach Saban. Uh, but in your mind, we Alabama already has Aaron Sterling committed from – uh, from Stone Mountain, Georgia, you know, uh, he, he, uh, he's from Stevenson High School. Uh, he's been uh, committed uh, for several months. Of course, people have worried about Georgia, but he's an undersized defensive end, but very good film. Uh, you know, we've already talked about how we heard he did very well uh, at Alabama's uh, final, uh, or excuse me, uh, first elite camp. Uh, and then we, you've already talked about Akeel Byers from Fayetteville, Arkansas. And the one encouraging thing, William, about Akeel is starting to hear, and he has a very impressive offer sheet, and he's supposed to return, hopefully, either uh, this this next week to Alabama's second elite camp with his mother or to the, the one-day D-line camp in, on the uh, July 23rd, but that his grade situation may not be as dire as once thought, and uh, he's going to be able to qualify. And you've already talked about how good he is. And then you hear other names, such as Ryan Johnson in state and uh, LeBron Ray. This could be still a very good uh, – a uh, very good group, and probably one with about. You, are you are you thinking the magic number's five? Well, you know, Drew. I think the 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 the, the thing, the positive thing for Alabama fans are this. You know, if you look at it going forward, um, you know, between uh, this weekend, which is you know probably July fifteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, however you want to you know calculate it. Between September 1st, I expect them to get four or five commitments. And, wow. you know, I include, you know, LeBron Ray and, and the McDonald kid in that. Uh, you know, then Hedring Ruggs, Devonta Smith. And, you know, then there might be some guys, that, you know, that come to the camp and, you know, prove their worth and, you know, get, get that offer. But, you know, I expect Alabama to get, uh, you know, at least four or five more commitments for this 2017 class between this weekend and September 1st. And that would be huge. I mean, the wide receiver group is looking epic. Uh, you've already brought up uh, Jeff Thomas. Uh, if he gets his grades, uh, he's too talented from East St. Louis, Illinois, the home of uh, one uh, James Gregory, who I know played with you at Alabama. Uh, that would be huge for Alabama to get a five-man group like that. College would then hopefully go to Michigan and go out of state. Uh, but then, if you talk, if you talk about uh, the, uh, the, and then you, uh, the uh, Tyreek McDonald, many have known his stock was rising, but of course that the spots would get tight. But now Alabama has nobody in the secondary committed, and as you said, uh, he and LeBron Ray are, t- are close friends. Not be surprised uh, if they took both of those guys. And so that would be an outstanding group. If you talk about five commitments, uh, that would mean Alabama's class. It would be uh, about three-quarters of the way full, but still looking like they're going to 
signed 27. I've heard 28 if they could get the right few. Uh, but what I, in our last few minutes with you, I did want to kind of transition and continue to talk recruiting. We haven't really spoken with you since they wrapped it up. But if you're an Alabama fan, uh, it was kind of like deja vu, vu all over again from two years ago. But the opening could not have worked out any better uh, for, for the Crimson Tide. No, I totally agree with you, Drew. I mean, uh, you know, there was some talk, and, you know, I understand that, you know, this has to happen. You know, there was a lot of people that thought that, uh, you know, Dylan Moses was going to overtake Najee Harris, number one overall player. But, you know, just go watch the video clip of uh, (laughs) Najee Harris versus uh, Dylan Moses one-on-one. That doesn't mean that Dylan Moses is not an elite linebacker, okay? Um, He is. Um, You know, and again, you know, I feel for a guy like Dylan Moses. I mean, this kid has had so much pressure put on him, um, you know, in the age of social media. I mean, he was a slam dunk five-star guy as an eighth grader that may or may not have progressed beyond being – a five-star in the eighth grade. But, you know, when he was matched up with Najee Harris, he got embarrassed. Um, So, you know, I don't agree with that. Uh, I don't agree with, uh, you know, the the 247 guys that, you know, think that Alex Leatherwood is the fourth best offensive tackle in the country. You You know, again, this is all trickery. Uh, you know, they, they they made him a five-star. You know, they put him in the top ten. But there's three other offensive tackles in the country that they think are better than Alex Leatherwood. And, you know, this isn't, you know, trickery. Uh, Alex Leatherwood is the best offensive tackle in the country. Uh, if somebody tells you something different, tell them to call me. They're liars. He is the best or offensive tackle. Look at Jonah Williams from the year before. <laughs> yep, and I told you about him too. Yeah, but absolutely. I'll tell about... you what I do have a problem with. Um, okay. You know, the, the people that evaluate these kids and they say, you know, that this guy is a dual-threat quarterback. Now, I'm going to tell you what's fixing to unfold with these guys. Um, the same guys that did a disservice – for Blake Barnett two years ago Mm -hmm. that said he was a dual-threat quarterback. Um, They're doing the same damn thing to Tua. You know, Tua Mm -hmm. ran a 4.940 out there at the opening. Wow. Um, You know, at at 6.5, you know, with his weight gain, let's just say Blake Barnett's 2.11, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, that, That sounds good, and it's really good. But at the end of the day, Neither one of those two guys possesses the athletic ability to be rated as a dual-threat quarterback in the SEC. You know, uh, great. You're on a 4940 in Hawaii, to, uh, just like Blake Barnett did two years ago in California when he ran a 485. You mm-hmm. can be a dual-threat quarterback in Hawaii and California running those numbers but that will get you killed in the SEC. Right. 
And uh, with Tua, too, uh, with also, he, he does, uh, much like Blake Barnett, though, they both move well enough, and they can and they can make plays with their feet. And I really thought, too, uh, and I'm sure you watched it as well, uh, the tape-delayed coverage, he was just absolutely on fire uh, that last day and had really good chemistry. And then the other thing, if you're an Alabama fan, uh, he had, you know, three commitments. Well, I'd say two and one that's a heavy lean on his team that really seemed to have good chemistry with him. And, of course, that being Najee Harris, uh, the running back we've already talked about, and then uh, the uh, Terrell Shavers, the commitment, and then the heavy lean, Jerry Judy. Oh, absolutely. He was surrounded with great players. But, you know, I think the thing that, that I learned so much, Drew, from that yeah. opening, you know, stuff, and, you know, it's the same thing that I think that, you know, I don't think Alabama fans have done this to Blake Barnett, but, you know, the, the recruiting experts have done this to him is, you know, you know he, he's 6'5", 211 right now. Talking about Blake right. Barnett. Right. Um, you know, whatever his size was his senior, you know, year in high school, um, great. Uh, but, you know, Tua is in the same situation. Um, mm-hmm. Went out there and threw darts all week mm-hmm. long. And yes. proved himself to be, you know, one of the top quarterback targets. But. Mm-hmm. When you you, know, you back off that and you look at the fact that he ran a four nine forty, he's not a prototypical dual threat quarterback, and, mm-hmm. and neither was Blake Barnett. You know, let's let's right. talk about these guys in the context of, of what they bring to the table, and you know they're they're not true dual threat quarterbacks. They're they're pro style quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to transition to that. In your mind, after what we've seen, because he seems to have dynamic athletic ability and speed, is Jalen Hurts a dual-threat quarterback? Are you kidding me? Are you really asking me this question? <laughs> well, I mean, I had to set it up. I mean, I mean, on. do you really want me to tell the listeners about uh, <laughs> uh, a year ago from now, you know, me waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, you know, because I've, I've gotten a little bit older now. I'm a little bit longer in the tooth. And, uh, you know, you're talking about a guy. Well, listen, this is what I want to tell the listeners. Um, you know, I woke up, you know, because, I, you know, I, I, I got a lot of heat about this. Uh, yeah. You know, I went out on a limb two years ago and said that I thought that Jalen Hurts was the best dual threat quarterback in the country. And, you know, right. part of that reason was uh, was to kind of troll all my Auburn friends. Uh, <laughs> but, but part of it was, well, let me explain something to you. Um, I would wake up, you know, I'm an older guy now. You know, I'm 45 years old. And so, you know, I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning in the fall and, you know, would have to use the bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. I would – once I got through using the bathroom on Friday night, I would go to the Houston Chronicle website. And I wanted to see, you know, I went on a limb and said that Jalen Hurts was the best dual threat quarterback in the country. So 
I would go on, you know, once I woke up and, and got on there and I'd go do this. And this is what I saw. Um, the kid, his senior year, had this to say. Uh, every goddamn game a week. It was 250 yards passing for two touchdowns, 150 yards rushing for two touchdowns. And that's what this kid was doing week by week in inner city Houston high school football. Yeah. yeah. He, he's legit. He is the true dual threat quarterback. Yeah, he re- it seems like it. I mean, and uh, it's hard not to get super excited about him watching him in the spring. He was 17 years old, should have been going to the prom. And, you know, he made really the most big plays of any of the four quarterbacks. Uh, you could have even argued he could have been the most consistent. I know he still needs to improve somewhat as a passer, but as you said, uh, he's got the unique kind of athletic ability. And he, his big playability as a dual threat is, and he did this in scrimmages, is to be able to, to make big plays with his feet, such as 50-yard chunk plays. I'm just really fascinated to see how much progress he's made in, uh, in four months, five months, and see if he can be the outlier in this situation and, and, uh, and, and be the first freshman to play a prominent role at quarterback as far as true freshman under Nick Saban. Of course, I know Blake Barnett's still going to continue to compete. Cooper Bateman, who may be the slight leader, and then David Cornwell, who really doesn't fit the athletic profile of the other three but may have the best arm. But it's really just going to be a, a very interesting stuff, William. And uh, to transition a little bit for the listeners, be, uh, be, where, be ready in our second hour as we are going to be joined by someone that I think would be a superstar in today's college football. And I know he was on the coaching staff when you were at Alabama, William, and was a two-year starter at Alabama and played a lot throughout his four-year career. And that is uh, T.R. Miller and Bruton, Alabama's own Walter Lewis. Well, Drew, let me tell you this story real quick. Um, you know, for all the listeners that, you know, want to sit there and say, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I understand the uh, – um, you know, the the, the, the track that, that Nick Saban has done with the quarterbacks. But, you know, let's be honest here for a second. Uh, you know, Nick Saban has started a guy uh, at left tackle, which is, in my opinion, the most critical position in college football. He started a guy named Cam Robinson there. Um, he started a guy named Dante Hightower at inside linebacker. Um, he started a guy named Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley um, as true freshman. Uh, he started a guy named Minka Fitzpatrick last year um, at the star position. Um, you know, the, the people that think that Nick Saban won't start a quarterback, they're lost in the dark. Um, <laughs> if Jalen Hurts proves to be the best quarterback on campus. I, I have no doubt in my mind that Nick Saban will pull the trigger and, you know, that will be the guy. I'm not trying to say that, that is who the guy is going to be. But, you know, let's don't kid ourselves. We're, we're talking about a head coach that is the best of all time. And he will do what is best for his football team. 
But what I see, Drew, um, mm-hmm. when you see Jalen Hurts do what he did uh, three months on campus back in the spring, uh, a guy that I thought was equal to or maybe better than anybody on campus. So mm-hmm. if if he was there, you know, if he was equal, Drew, um, how good is this guy going to be in August? And yeah. let's don't discount the fact, Drew, that we still haven't seen, you know, you've been down there, I've been down there. We we know what we see in these scrimmages, but yes. we know how the quarterbacks are treated. You know they can't make plays with their legs. So what I'm looking at is, um, you know, this is a guy that showed up, you know, in January or maybe even late December. You know, was involved in ball practice. And, you know, That's he goes right. out there, and he looks real, real comfortable as a guy at the quarterback spot for Alabama two ways. You know, was he really, really that talented, or were the guys that he was mixing in with, you know, retards? I mean, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm just saying, you know, that's that's what I looked at it like, you know. Jalen Hurts went out in the spring and factored in real, real quickly. But, mm-hmm. you know, you have to look at the people around him. So, yeah. without the ability of evaluating him with his legs, what is this guy, you know, he went out there in the spring and, you know, factored in as one of the, you know, the top guys, Drake. Um, in, in the spring without his legs. And so he comes back this fall, and, you know, everybody says, well, you know, he, he's right there with Bateman and Cornwell and Barnett. But, you know, we still don't know what he can do with his legs. You know, yeah, you always- i got to take, take a step back, Drew, and say, uh, you know, maybe we're talking about something here. Yeah, maybe so because you know he he didn't uh, as you know as you said he he was only practicing mostly with the twos and the threes and he didn't get a chance to showcase his legs a lot because again he was still trying to learn the offense he did uh, in the third scrimmage from or or the co- during the coaches clinic from what I understand break a fifty yard run uh, for a score but it, like but in a day we really didn't see a lot of it uh, but what you saw on film in high school was tremendous and also I think it's big that he's the son of a high school coach. And it truly understands the game. Well, you know, Drew, the thing that really kind of makes me pause is, mm-hmm. you know, going back to when he was a senior in high school. And, you know, I, I want to share the story with the listeners because I've never really been bought in with a quarterback prospect this way, um, you know, the way that I was with Jalen Hurts. And, you know, when I tell you this, it, it, you know, it sounds one way, but, you know, maybe you need to take it with another. But, you know, I would wake up in the middle. I, you know, I've kind of gotten to the age where, you know, i got to take a, a pee-pee break at 3 o'clock in the morning. But this is what I saw from this kid. Um, and 
and the reason I thought he was the number one quarterback in the country his senior year in high school. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I would be I would be uh, you know forced to wake up at three o'clock in the a.m. you know to go use the bathroom, and every game last fall. Um, when I would go get back in the bed and, and look at it, I would say, you know, hey, what Jalen Hurts did this, this Friday night, uh, I'm going to go look at it. And I did. And it was it was like watching magic happen. Um, yeah. I, I would go look at it, and it was 250 yards passing with three touchdowns, <laughs> 150 yards rushing with two touchdowns, so, you know, basically Jalen Hurts was, you know, getting, you know, five touchdowns a week every Friday night. And I would watch this thing unfold, and I was like, man, th- th- this is this is the guy. You know, forget about Jacob Eason this year. You know, forget about Jake Fromm next year. Forget about Trevor Lawrence two years from now. This is the guy. And mm-hmm. he proved it every week. And, you know, for people that don't understand just how good inner city Houston high school football is, he was doing it against top talent. That's a great point. Well, William, we always appreciate the time. We are very excited about Jalen Hurts, and we are really excited in about 25 minutes to hear from uh, the great Walter Lewis, who was the quarterback of the Crimson Tide from uh, 80 from excuse me 1982 and 83 but played quite a bit from 80 uh, to 83 in his four years uh, after signing from uh, T.R. Miller High School in Bruton, Alabama and of course Kay he was on the coaching staff when you played as running backs coach before leaving to go with Bill Curry to Kentucky but it's going to be great catching up with him and it was always great catching up with you thank you for your thoughts tonight and uh, we really appreciate you joining BAMS Radio just ask Coach Lewis hey I missed you uh, when you left with Coach Curry and remind him about our uh, interaction with Terry Saban the day that Nick Saban took the job in 2007, Drew. Absolutely. We'll definitely mention that to him. Appreciate those thoughts, William, and have a great rest of your evening. You too, Drew. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. That's William Redfish Barger. Always great conversation, Thomas Watts, and uh, – Great stuff uh, from the former Bam offensive lineman. Oh, absolutely. And the uh, the I, I, I don't want to call it a defense of Jalen Hurts, but the uh, let's call it the stumping since the RNC and the DNC are here in the next couple of weeks. The stumping for the quarterback and what he is and how good William thinks he's going to be was kick back and uh, enjoy. That was excellent. And uh, we'll see. I think I think the thing that I took out of it, even beyond the Jalen Hurts thing, and it's not to call Williams' knowledge of football into question. That's not what I'm doing here. It's the speed thing with Jeremy Pruitt. Alabama's defense is going to be faster, and that will help against spread teams, but it might hurt against the Arkansas and the LSUs. We'll have to see, but we won't see until, what, two years from now with the recruiting, the, the concept of who Alabama's pushing for really changes we'll see but i think that great stuff from fish tonight great great absolutely stuff. but and i guess we need to take our our uh, five minute break here for everybody we take a one one break a, a night for our two-hour marathon with bams radio thomas and i will be back in about five minutes 
And then we're going to bring you a very interesting conversation with someone I was able to sit down with at SEC Media Days who knows a thing or two about quarterbacks. God, I see headlights. I made it down the coast in 17 hours, picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers, and I'm a hoping for rally. I can see my baby tonight. I pick a banjo now Oh, no country where the keep are getting me down Lost my money playing poker so I had to leave town But I ain't turning back to living that old life no And we are back from our little respite as we continue to roll along with BAMS Radio. Thomas, it's hard to believe you've already been on the air an hour and 11 minutes. It feels like two minutes. But time flies when you're having fun uh, with William Redfish Barger and his thoughts on recruiting, uh, the philosophy of uh, Jeremy Pruitt, and, of course, uh, one of his favorite subjects, as you could tell, Jalen Hurts. Absolutely, and uh, I echo, time flies when you're having fun on the radio, so it's a good problem to have. Uh, I vote it continues, and uh, I have to say, Drew, the audio that you sent me, I didn't have a chance to do a ton of review before the show, just because I was busy doing some graduate school stuff, so I'm really excited to hear this, because I I like who you had the interviewer. I'm not going to spoil it, I'll let you intro it, but uh, why don't you tell our listeners what we're going to, who we'll be hearing from. Yes, absolutely. Um, He's... He's a, a renowned author. If you have not read his book, uh, The Meat Market, 
I suggest you do that. I started reading the paperback version, could not stop reading it until I finished it. Now, if you're an Alabama fan, which all of our listeners are, at times it will not be a fun book because it is during the time with Nick Saban at LSU and Ed Orgeron and, uh, at Ole Miss, and it really follows around Ed Orgeron's program and, of course, taking us back to the Dark Shula era of head coach uh, Mike Shula. But still, very interesting book uh, by this author. He's also written a, a book recently about uh, uh, delving into quarterbacking, uh, and that, of course, is the one and only from Fox Sports, uh, their columnist and college football insider, I had to kind of stalk him at SEC Media Days before he left Wednesday after Nick Saban, but it's Bruce Feldman, and here's that Bruce conversation. Feldman. Bruce, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, guys. Good to be on with you. Absolutely, and I wanted to get your thoughts because uh, one of the favorite, one of my favorite pieces that you wrote was uh, the retrospective, really, in, with Lane Kiffin after the national championship game last year, and you seem to have a unique relationship with Lane Talk about what he's done at Alabama. Yeah, you know, I've known him for a long time because I live in California. Uh, he was an assistant at USC for a long time. Um, you know, when you look back at, I think a lot of people wondered how that relationship would play out with he and he and Nick Saban. I think, a, you know, from, from knowing a lot of guys who work with Lane Kiffin, I think he did not get a lot of credit for how smart he was and how savvy he was when it came to matchups and, and, and different things and game planning, you know, and as the head coach at USC, he was mm-hmm. doing everything. And I think that was a tall order for him, especially coming off of the sanctions and what he had to deal with. But I, I really think he's done a really good job of showcasing, you know, Amari Cooper and, and some of the talent that they have. We saw in the national title game, obviously with OJ Howard, uh, they had a Heisman Trophy winner in the backfield last year, despite having to replace some, some key pieces on off on the offensive line. But ultimately, when you talk about back-to-back years where there was big question marks going into the season at starting quarterback, and to go to the playoff, I thought they overachieved in that season. And then to win the national title, I thought it was a you know it was a credit to everybody there. But certainly, I think Lane Kiffin had a lot to be proud of. And then Bruce, what I was uh, really impressed with was how he adjusted from one year to the next, different styles of quarterbacks different offensive approach, and I really thought it it, it, it it spoke well of him. I, Homer Smith was always, as far as I'm being in the state of Alabama, he's revered in the state for what he did. And you know, you're very familiar with him. He yep. was at UCLA. But I, I put now Lane Kiffin right up there with Homer as far as being an offensive mind. Just kind of talk about how good Lane Kiffin is. Yeah, look, I mean, I think winning the national title, like I said, with, with – uncertainty a quarterback for much of the year I think he he wrote it out and and they have good resources I mean obviously they have a good staff I think it helped when you had a terrific offensive line led by Ryan Kelly you really have talent at receiver and and that doesn't even get into what what you have on the other side of the ball but uh you know I I think he just has a very good feel for things and sometimes people look at it and he's a very polarizing figure but um you know I I think ultimately you're judged by your successes and his track record is, is pretty strong now. Well, and do you think when he came to Alabama, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder? Because, you know, when Nick Saban had hired him, and I know people close to Coach Saban, he had, you know, looked into that a couple other times. But when you were very familiar with his run at USC under Pete Carroll, a lot of people gave more credit to the success of Steve Sarkeesian, thinking he was the wizard behind the curtain. But it looks like Lane Kiffin uh, was as much of the factor there as Steve Sarkeesian, if not more. Uh, yeah, you know, like I think they both had a hand in it. I mean, you look back, 
Norm Chow had a big role in that setting that up yes. as well. Uh, they had great talent, you know, Reggie Bush, Mike Williams, Matt Leinart, uh, you know, some good offensive linemen there. Ryan Khalil's had a terrific NFL career. Um, but I think, you know, through this, you have a guy who you go back, chip, I came here with a chip on his shoulder. Lane Kiffin's had a chip on his shoulder, seemingly, you know, about a lot of things. And for the most part, it has served him well. And I think, you know, it has here. And I think this has been a this has been probably a, at times turbulent, but I think it's been a very good fit for him because he is able to pick up some things from Nick Saban. I think about structure and 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 you know you could hear the cliche process, but I think those are things that you know added to his time under Pete Carroll. I think it has is, is helped him develop as a coach, and if he gets another head coaching job in the next couple of years. I think he'll be better for it. Yeah, and I was going to ask about that because I know that's why he came to work for Coach Saban. He wanted to learn more about uh, how Saban puts together his program, learn from his mistakes uh, at Tennessee and Southern Cal to get another opportunity. I think many were surprised, including myself, that he didn't get one uh, after last season. Do you think it was just a fit issue and a timing issue? And that's a lot of times what it is in coaching search. Yeah, I think so. I mean, now what will come open that – would be intriguing to him a year from now. I, I don't know. It's hard to say because sometimes it takes another coach who's not on the hot seat to leave a job that creates a pretty good job. And and we'll see what that could be. Um, you know, if Sonny Dykes left Cal, mm. would that would probably get him back on the West Coast. They have some they have some talent. You can recruit there. He's back in the pack. He would be back in the Pac-12. I mean that wouldn't be a bad spot for him. Obviously, Sonny Dykes would need to be moving on, but uh, we'll see how these things unfold. And then I know you followed the Alabama situation this spring. They've got four guys competing for the job. Uh, Lane did an outstanding job with uh, bringing Blake Sims along, Jake Coker as well. Do you, do you see him being able to do that again in year three? You know, it, 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 whatever the expression is, like one time, is a flu, <laughs> you know, that, that thing. I mean, he's done it before. Uh, people are encouraged by Cooper Bateman. You know, he has, he has experience. He understands the system. He's a good athlete. Uh, temperament is good. They're not asking him to be Aaron Rodgers. They're not asking him to be Johnny Manziel. They're not asking him to even be what, like, let's say Aaron Murray was at Georgia. I think they, it's more than a game manager, but I think you need a guy who makes good decisions and can complete the ball to open receivers. And, you know, Cooper Bateman can be that guy. Um, you know, I mean, he would be the, from everything I hear, he's the front runner for the job. I think there's there's a lot of unknown. I know Blake Barnett because I had done a quarterback book and spent some time with Blake. Right. And we're curious to see how he develops. Blake has some ability, too. He's a good athlete, you know. Um, you know, I liked a little bit when I was there in the spring. I heard good things about Jalen Hurts, who just got there. Um, but he's real young, so – you know, I think experience is big, and, and ultimately, you know, when I spent a bunch of time with Nick Saban in April, it came back to what, you know, uh, leadership and when do we feel like this person is ready to take over the team and, and has that command. And uh, you brought up Blake Barnett, and you spent some time with him. I followed him closely. I know the family pretty well during his recruiting process. I thought he brought a lot of intangible things and a leadership qualities, and Coach Saban kind of referenced it when they signed him. Talk about him, and I still think he has a chance to win this job. He did struggle in the spring. The first two scrimmages were not good. A-Day was a lot better. I asked Lane about that uh, earlier this spring, and he said, really, he just thought he was pressing. But just what are, you, what are your thoughts on Blake Barnett? Uh, you know, I mean, he's, he's still got some potential. It's just a matter of can he do it when he gets the opportunity in practice. 
you know, I, I saw him last uh, last spring when I was out there, and he was, should have been in high school at that point. He definitely had some moments where he's going to struggle. And if you can't convince him in practice, you're not going to get much of a chance to convince him in the middle of an SEC game with a lot of people in the stands and, and the bullets are flying for real. So I think he's got to show them that this this August, certainly, that he can be a guy they can count on, whether he's the first-string guy or the second-string guy. And now I wanted to bring up your uh, your book, one of my favorites. Uh, I, I couldn't stop reading it. I had to just read it straight through. That was Meat Market. Thank you. Uh, just an outstanding job uh, following Ed Orgeron, and mainly because of Hugh Freeze. That was the beginning of his rise in the college coaching profession. We all know what that Ole Miss program is going through now, Bruce, with the investigation. Your thoughts on Hugh Freeze and, and where this might lead? You know, ultimately, I think it's on what can the NCAA prove. You know, we all hear if we, you know, inside college football rumblings about this happened or that happened. You know, there's definitely been, you know, some serious rule break in there because the NCAA has already gone into it that they would self-sanction some of the things they've already done. Now, will it be enough for the NCAA? Is there more stuff coming on? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what Hugh Freeze is going to say on Thursday that's going to convince people anything more one way or the other. I think right now it's, the ball is really in the NCAA's hands. And until they, uh, you know, put forth what they have found or determined, you know, we're still kind of in a holding pattern on that. And then I, what I, I wanted to get your thoughts on Hugh because you obviously were around that program very closely. Um, and he got his first shot from Ed Orgeron. He had uh, obviously been an outstanding high school coach. Uh, what, in your, what, has, what do you think has made him special? He has beat Nick Saban two times. You cannot take him. Uh, take that away from him, got Ole Miss to the Sugar Bowl. What's made him so good so quickly? Well, he's definitely been a good recruiter. He is he is a guy, I will say this, whenever anybody asks him out of my experience around him, and this is just when he was an assistant, he is the best public speaker of any coach I've been around. And see, wow. I've seen a lot of guys in terms of in front of a group. He can really motivate. Uh, I think he's got some good ideas. He's a creative, offensive mind sometimes unconventional. I think it has worked to his behalf, uh, you know, and he, he has gotten a lot of talent there. There's, there's some good pieces in place. There still are. I mean, Chad Kelly is still there. They still have a good defensive line. Uh, you know, they should be a legitimate top 20 team. And uh, who do you like in the SEC, Bruce? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm leaning toward Alabama in the, in the Western division, of course, and then Florida, I think they're flying under the radar in the East. I like, uh, Luke Del Rio. I like the pieces that I think uh, Jim McElwain is going to put in place offensively. Mark Thompson, the junior college running back. And then I love Jeff Collins as a coordinator. I think he's uh, outstanding. I think they have enough talent to be a, a really good defense. Again, t- top half of the SEC. But you're, you're getting a feel for this. Who do you like in the two divisions? You know, I, I, I like Jeff Collins as well. I think he's – I'm glad you brought him. I think he does a really terrific job. I think Bob Shoup was a great hire for, for Tennessee. He will get their defense better. I think the reason why – the biggest reason why I think they're ready to live up to some of the hype is I think the leadership that they have uh, with Derek Barnett, with Jill and Reese Maven, uh, you know, I look at it, uh, it's better in the locker room. Josh Dobbs has played pretty well at times. I mean, they almost beat Alabama on the road. They have two stud running backs. I think they have more firepower right now uh, than Florida does. Mm. And, so on that side, I think it's going to be close on the other side between Alabama and LSU. I really think LSU is ready to take a big step up. The talent gap is not what it was 
Dave Aranda, much like Shoup comes in from the Big Ten, uh, he's terrific. He's a big upgrade, I think, compared to what they had. Really good secondary. We know Fournette's, and Fournette it can, can be a, a monster talent. And I think Brandon Harris, it's year three. He's got a lot of ability. Um, you know, I think how they manage him will be fun, interesting to watch. Uh, you know, and, and less miles is as unpredictable as they get. But um, that game is on the road, you know, for Alabama. And, and I really think LSU has a real good chance this year. Yeah, and then uh, Auburn, Gus Malzahn, we know he's on the hot seat a little bit. Uh, they've got to get, you know, more consistency at their quarterback position. And, of course, you wrote the outstanding book. Uh, the, the the QB. What do you see Gus Malzahn making it to year five? I don't know. I mean, I'm I. I think it's I think it's going to be a tall order because I think he's got to get to eight wins. And when you open with Clemson and you play in the SEC West, that's not going to be easy. They got to get a lot better on offense. They need a quarterback to step up. They need a quarterback to step up and stay healthy. I think it's I think it's dicey right now. I really do. And then I'm glad you brought up Dabo Sweeney and Clemson because there's a lot of talk in the state of Alabama about with Nick Swinney, Nick Saban retires, who would be on that short list. In your mind, has Dabo reached elite status as head coach? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you get that program into the national title, even if you don't win it, they were they were right there. Um, yeah, I think so. I, I definitely think so. I think he's one of the, you know, ten or fifteen best coaches in college football. And I, that's and to me that's been a little surprising. I'm not disrespecting Dabo because he became the interim coach and he had not been a coordinator before. And, hey, and, and, and Urban Meyer had never been a coordinator. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh had never been a coordinator. Those are two of the probably three or four best coaches in fo- college football. They had never been coordinators. So, yeah, sometimes that, that's that's right. That uh, they, you can if you just get the right fit. And I think Dabo has uh, the the perfect storm has happened for him at Clemson, no question about it. Uh, and then finally, uh, with Nick Saban, uh, what he's done at Alabama. Do you? I know there's been a lot of talk uh, about where he where he sits in history. What you've followed this game for a long time. Where, what is your take on where Nick Saban stands? I mean, he right after last year, he's as good as there is. It's harder to do. It's harder to repeat. It's harder to to. to go on a run like this in this day and age with scholarship limitations and the sense of entitlement you have from players. Uh, more guys are willing to transfer and go other places. I think it's just a lot harder to stay elite in this day and age than it is at any other time in college football. So, you know, I think he would be at the top of the list. Now, I mean, I'm not going across sports. I think, you know, there's the John Woodens and the, you know, Pat Summits and the people who done some amazing things but it's, when it comes to college football and that's very unique I think that I think the discussion starts with Nick Saban absolutely well we thank you Bruce we know you're a very busy guy thank you for the time really appreciate it great work for Fox Sports my friend my pleasure thank you wow Drew great great stuff and uh thank you sir I have to say you know talk and listen to the audio his Auburn take was interesting he is mm-hmm. uh Obviously, on the LSU bandwagon, I, I'm I'm trending his way with LSU. Auburn is it, I, Auburn's like to me an enigma wrapped in an anomaly, wrapped in you know just well, cow manure. But you know, that's that's because it's Auburn. But you know, it you don't know what you're going to get with that team. And, uh, you don't, and, and you don't know what you're going to get with John Franklin the third because. Yep. He was an erratic passer uh, in the spring, and he's been brought in to start. I mean, that's why Gus Malzahn has been working so hard with him. But he's also 
a, an undersized QB. And what I mean by that, he's not the tallest kid, and he's 175 pounds, probably maximum soaking wet. He's, he doesn't weigh a lot. So you worry about how he would hold up physically in the SEC. You've already heard William talking about it. Now, he is a true track guy, though. The dude has speed to burn. We didn't see a lot of him his uh, legs in the spring because of the, of the uh, they were, you know, they didn't want to show too much, but right. I still think uh, that John Franklin, the third the favorite. And that's a fascinating game with Clemson just uh, to, to start the season. Cause Auburn's going to put a lot into that. I think they're going to make a run at Clemson. I don't think they'll win the game because of Deshaun Watson, but I also wanted to get Bruce's thoughts on Dabo because you know, Dabo Sweeney's going to get a lot of, uh, of hype for the Alabama job. Should he continue to win? Uh, should Coach Saban step away in four or five years? There's going to be a lot of people that have Dabo at the top of the list for the head coach. I, I'm personally not in that camp right now. I'm, you got You got He wants. He needs to show me some more consistency in his program, and maybe he will. Uh, but just an overall great conversation with one of the uh, guys and one of the most intellectual writers in college football, but uh, one of the smartest. And I uh, just really enjoyed that conversation. And I know we're about to have another great conversation coming up in a minute or two. Absolutely, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing this just because, well, I'll date myself. I wasn't around when, uh, when, when uh, or I wasn't cognizant of what was going on when what Mr. Lewis was playing. So it'll be, yep. uh, it'll be a heck of a thing. But, uh, no, again, great stuff with Bruce Feldman, but let me work on what Mr. Lewis, and uh, we will get him on ASAP. Absolutely, and I'm going to be fascinated to hear uh, the, the, the uh, thoughts and comments of one of the best tied quarterbacks in history uh, who's has set records that it were held for a long time for total offense and uh, was one of the better athletes uh, to ever uh, uh, play the position at the University of Alabama and came along at an interesting time because it was the end of the Coach Bryant era and uh, he was part of one of the last great recruiting classes along with Jesse Bendross and that group of guys that uh, graced the Crimson Tide and then of course uh, played in the first uh, a year of the Ray Perkins regiment to finish his career. So looking forward to speaking uh, with a true uh, Crimson Tide legend in my mind, someone that put on the jersey and wore it very well and was a class act and uh, was a very, very good football player uh, for the University of Alabama. And we're looking forward to getting his thoughts on uh, the modern-day college football now, where quarterbacking has gone, uh, where, he, what he, where he sees it continuing to evolve, and and maybe what does he ever think about you know how he would uh, be able to perform if he if he if, if he were in this uh, college football in the climate it is this day and time with his skill set I think uh, just talking to someone a tied historian tonight uh, before our show uh, really uh, felt like that that uh, he would be a, would have been a superstar uh, this day and time and just really wanted to speak with him and uh, catch up I know he still follows the program very closely he also coached at the University of Alabama, and is uh, still an avid supporter and, of course, was there with our own William Redfish Barger, who was on with us tonight uh, to uh, for uh, Nick Saban's first press conference and has seen what Coach Saban has been able to do and build at the University of Alabama. And now Coach Saban is kind of evolving as a coach, too. I mean, he's uh, always kind of been a pro-style guy. He still is, but his quarterbacks were mostly all pro-style QBs. Uh, but now he's been he's going more to the dual threat style quarterback and and QBs that can extend plays with their legs and have outstanding athletic ability, much like he did during his time uh, with the Crimson Tide. First, 
of course, running the wishbone offense and then kind of transitioning uh, to more of a pro style under uh, the uh, Ray Perkins, who stayed at Alabama after having the unenviable task of taking over for Coach uh, Paul William Bryant. And uh, he uh, he was at Alabama from 83 to 86 before moving on to the Tampa Bay Bucks. But he kind of transitioned Alabama into what they've really been known for throughout their history since that time, mostly a pro-style offensive team. But we look forward uh, to getting uh, to, to getting the thoughts of Walter Lewis uh, on uh, the Crimson Tide. Hope to have him on the uh, the Sun Belt Tens hotline soon. And uh, we uh, we hope everyone has enjoyed the show to this point. We uh, the first hour was a, a big time conversation with William Redfish Barger, who gave us his thoughts on uh, some recruiting and uh, we're and uh, and uh, when we're and uh, where Alabama might be as far as in the secondary and of course along the defensive line and and kind of how that intertwines with the philosophy of new defensive coordinator Jeremy Pruitt. And of course, he gave us his thoughts on one of the most exciting young players on the Alabama Crimson Tide, and that is Jalen Hurts uh, from Channel View, Texas, who everybody is excited about after seeing his first spring and the skill set he could bring to the table uh, for the University of Alabama. He's a dynamic uh, playmaker and uh, someone that could bring a new dimension to the quarterback position. But speaking of that quarterback position, we are now going live to the uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline, and we're honored to be joined uh, by, uh, from 1980 to 83, a quarterback from the Crimson Tide, and that is uh, T.R. Miller, Bruton, Alabama's finest, uh, Walter Lewis. Mr. Lewis, uh, we are really are honored to be joined by you tonight. Thank you for taking the time. Hey, thank you for even thinking about having me on. It's a pleasure. Oh, thank you, sir. And, uh, you know, Thomas and I, Thomas is a little bit younger than myself. I I will date myself. I'm a, uh, I, I'm a, uh, I, I'm a 1994 Huntsville High graduate, and then I attended the university in the late 90s. Thomas is, of course, a graduate in the mid 2000s. Uh, as I became a diehard Tide fan, was toward the end of your career uh, with the Crimson Tide. But we wanted to kind of, first of all, have you tell our listeners uh, about your career because you were came along at a very interesting time near the end of, the, of course, the legendary run of Coach Paul Bear Bryant and you were there for the end of his career and one of the biggest wins in the history of the program, the, of course, the, uh, the Liberty Bowl win over Illinois, and then you were able to kind of transition to a different style of offense but still were very productive under Coach Ray Perkins. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure having an opportunity to play under Coach Bryant. Um, I know when I was being recruited by him in the University of Alabama, uh, I actually turned him down. <laughs> There, uh, he came to my house and he asked me some questions relative to always having a goal of playing in the red jersey, and I told him that I didn't. I said my goal was, I said, I said I never watched Alabama very much coming along. I always watched USC or Ohio State or whatever for various reasons, uh, but uh, I also told him that I, I, you know, I had a preference of playing professional ball. That's kind of what I always dreamed of, you know, of doing. So. Uh, when I committed to him, I felt like I was in hot water because I turned him down the first time, <laughs> you know, when he visited my home. So it, it's, it's been a definite pleasure. Uh, it was a definite pleasure playing for him and uh, being able to uh, perform in front of the fans and, and uh, be a part of the, you know, the Alabama nation. Yeah, I'm, I know it was, Walter. And 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 talk about that when you uh, – because I, I was talking to a, one of my best friends in this business and – 
he's a he's a he's a vaunted historian of the game, and of course his name's Rodney Orr of TiderInsider dot com, and he has a, a memory unlike any other that I've ever talked with about uh, because he's and he was and, and it's interesting because he grew up in uh, or spent he, he was born in Alabama, but he spent most of his uh, childhood and adulthood uh, or early adulthood in Texas. So, but he mm-hmm. he he, uh, he knows a lot about your career. And uh, he wanted. He said, "You you have to ask Walter this when you uh, talk with him tonight." He, his, his, the favorite, his favorite play of, of your career was actually in a game that Alabama lost, and that was the Cotton Bowl uh, against Texas. And he said, "Drew, you've got to go uh, Google the play he made uh, to put Alabama up seven to nothing." <laughs> and he kind of wanted you to kind of relive that play for us tonight. I won't try to relive that play, but can you give me some give me some background on that? Because I'm I'm he's got he's got me caught off guard here as it relates to yeah you know what play he's talking about specifically there. I, I don't mind elaborating on. I'm just trying to figure out which one it is. Absolutely, he, he talked about how it was a play where you kind of had to improvise and you scrambled, uh, and he said you had to go back. It seemed twenty to twenty five yards, and you had you were surrounded by Texas defenders. And you threw off your back foot and uh, completed the pass to Jesse Bendros. I believe he said it put Alabama up seven to nothing. Uh, he, you know, because well, at, at the time. Well, I, 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 I think I can elaborate on that play. I, I don't go ahead, think go it was ahead, Jesse. Brother. I think I think it was Preston Gothard actually. Oh, okay. And, uh, okay. I, 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 uh, I don't remember all the improv, you know, improvising all, but I do remember this. Uh, I was probably two days late throwing that pass, <laughs> and uh, Texas had er- they had every opportunity to to make the interception, and for for whatever reasons they did not, and, and Preston was backing into the end zone and actually caught it, and and uh, we scored. And I remember, and I'm not I cannot I cannot say on this podcast tonight what Coach Bryant had to say. But but uh, it was very interesting, <laughs> you know. And, and uh, I remember very vividly the words that came out of his mouth. He told me I was lucky, you know. And I'm that's as far as I'm gonna go. <laughs> but uh, yes, that was uh, that was a that was a great time. And and like I said, Coach Bryan was very good at one-liners, and uh, he knew how to get your attention when your attention need gotten. You know, and that was a time during that game my attention, you know, may have had to, you know, be gotten at that point, you know, because it, it was a tough game with Texas, and unfortunately we lost the game. And there's a lot of stories uh, behind that game as it relates to me and, and what went on prior to the game and what went on during the game. It's just a lot of a lot a lot that uh, transpired during that Texas game. Yeah, I know. Uh, Rodney was – Telling me, he said, really, he was Alabama's nearly entire offense that day. He said he he was tremendous, and he talked about how what the skill set you brought to the quarterback position, as far as how strong a runner you were. He said you were very physical and gave Texas a lot of problems in that contest. And of course, Rodney, being from Texas, he takes those losses very hard because uh, he was still mm-hmm. living. Uh, and I believe he was at the time maybe he had uh, was still living in Texas or had just uh, moved uh, to this uh, to uh, the, the southeast. But yeah, he uh, he uh, there was nothing Rodney liked better than Alabama. One of the the finest moments of of his uh, uh, tenure uh, owning Tider Insider. Trust me, there was nobody happier than when Alabama beat Texas in 2009 because he had to hear about it a lot. Absolutely, because Alabama always seemed to come up just short against the Longhorns. 
Well, let me list, let me just say this about Rodney. I've had a chance to visit with him a couple times, but he does an amazing. They they do an amazing job with Tyler Insider. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't I don't listen to the the show mostly, but I do keep up with what the news that he brings to the table. But my hat's off to him with that concept. I think that's a great concept to to give people fans information relative to what's going on with the you know the 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 the, the football team and recruiting and all that goes on. I think that's an outstanding idea and an outstanding thing that he and his group are doing with that. Yeah, well, yeah, I appreciate that. I contribute to Tider Insider. It is an, a, a very fine website. And and Walter, we wanted to ask you to uh, uh, just to, to wrap your career. What I know you were privileged to play for Coach Bryant, but talk about the, mm-hmm. the transition you had playing under Coach Perkins, and, and you had a really fine year under him uh, as a senior, but talk about how what, was it difficult transitioning from the, more of a wishbone attack to the pro style off? Well, to be honest with you, uh, when Ray came in, and you know, I, I, I basically resisted the transition to mm. a certain degree. Um, and, 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 but I didn't, I didn't understand the concept that he was bringing to the table, but Ray was an outstanding coach. I mean, I, I talked with him a couple of weeks ago and I just told him, I said, man, you were good, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but what, what coach Perkins did with me, uh, the, the summer before our season got going in the fall, I went up into his office. Or, or it may have been the spring before we had our first spring practice. I can't remember exactly the time frame, but I went in his office. He said, Walter, he said, look, you know, you all ran the wishbone. He said, guess what? You all ran the triple option, didn't you? He said, I said, yes, sir, we did. I said, I said, uh, uh, he said, uh, you know what? We can run the triple option, you know, throwing the football. And he drew it up. And he said, you got this option here. You got this option here. You got this option here. You see, it's a triple option. You know, in terms of how, and, and and just him thinking of that concept and, and and blending it to what I had been accustomed to because you know I, my junior year I had master begin I was beginning to master the uh, mm-hmm. the wishbone and then going into my senior year you know I wanted to perfect it and uh, I was that's what that was that's where the resistance came in I wanted to perfect it and I felt like that was taken away. But Ray came in, and he did an outstanding job taking me under his wing and helping me to believe in the concepts that he was bringing there. And you mentioned earlier about the dual threat or a quarterback that right. you know, was doing a, thing, doing a lot of things differently. What Ray and Dave Rader and the staff, and um, uh, they did for me is they put me in positions to where I could be successful and, uh, mm-hmm. and doing things that I could do. And and Ray understood the abilities that I had. He did, you know. Some coaches will limit you because they don't know how to coach a, a, a player that has ability, you know. Because if they've never been there, how can they share that experience with a player to help him to see, you know, you know how to get it done? Great coaches are are, are coaches that can can take where they take a player where he is, take what he has ability wise, and put it to work. And and that's you know that's you you look at every great coach, he has that quality, and uh, that was something that Coach Bryant was able to do. We didn't run the straight wishbone; they split it out. They put uh, put wing wing backs in where we could go motion, and uh, it, you know he he developed he and Coach Moore developed a concept to where I could throw the ball, but also be a dual threat in terms of running as well, and that had an impact. I, it may have had an impact on how. 
offenses begin to perform, you know, during that time. So I'm just happy to have, you know, again, to have the opportunity to do so. And then uh, you were able to uh, play in the USFL with the Memphis Showboats and the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the CFL with the Montreal Alouettes. Do you think uh, transitioning to more of a passing attack and being able to uh, show your ability to throw the football, throwing for nearly 2,000 yards as a senior, do you think that uh, Coach Perkins helping you transition led to your pro career? That that did help me have an opportunity mm-hmm. there with the Memphis Showboats there, um, being able to transition. That was a big help. I often go back and think about it. I wish I would have had another year on the Coach Perkins mm-hmm. to be able to master all the techniques as it relates to calls and understanding the fronts and how to put your, your players in the best position to be successful offensively. Uh, that's what I missed. And and going to a franchise like the Memphis Showboats, being you know in its infancy, you know it wasn't a much time for that concept to be taught, you know there. So I had to learn on the run, and I wish I would have had another year on the perk to be able to get all those little logistical things taken care of. Because when you get on that level, athletic ability is great, but when you can put it mm-hmm. put all the techniques together in terms of how you go about the philosophy of the game, uh, coupled with you know, your athletic ability, that's when you're able to be successful as a quarterback. And I, I can give you an example of today of, of just that, and, uh, and that's Cam Newton with, uh, mm. with the Carolina Panthers. Cam's a great athlete. You know, Mike Shula has done an outstanding job, you know, uh, you know, blowing up the picture for him so he can see it. And therefore, if he can see it, he can get it, and he can take – his God-given abilities and exploit defenses physically as well as mentally. You know, there. My my hats off to Mike. Mike was on the sideline with me as a freshman when I was a senior, and uh, he mm-hmm. was what he what he's doing with Cam Newton right now is he was that he was my extended arm on the sideline. You know, there as a player. Mm-hmm. You know that even at that age, he had a he had an IQ to where he understood, and he understood how to communicate it, and he could communicate it to me on the sideline. You know there, but Cam Newton Newton is a perfect example of of, of a coach taking that that player and blowing the picture up so he can see the full scope of the game, and then exploit the abilities that you have physically as a player. Mm-hmm. Well. Mr. Lewis, you know, you've talked a lot about your career. Could you have a favorite moment from your time in Tuscaloosa, whether when you were playing or when you were coaching on the team? Um, Let's see. As a player, a favorite time for me, um, you know what? Uh, People don't realize this. You you know, I had a lot of great games. You know, uh, my freshman year was a great – uh, Auburn game was a very uh, good game for me in terms of getting out there and playing. But I'm going to tell you, the bowl season at Alabama, when when you came back to school and you didn't have classes and stuff, you know, that's that's really that was a time where I really had a chance to bond with players because we go out and do stuff, you know, that we really didn't have the time to do when we were playing during the season. And bowl time was a fun time for me. Uh, you go out and you bowl and you go out and eat together and you spend a lot of time together, get to know each other on a personal level. Those were special times for me as a player there at the University of Alabama. Uh, and then as a coach, you know what? As a coach, having coached there in 89, some of the best times for me were were uh, coaching, you know, the Saran Stacys, Kevin Turner, the late Kevin, Kevin Turner, um, uh, 
you know, those guys, you know, the, the uh, Pierre Goode, some of the discipline I had to put mm-hmm. on them, you know, <laughs> that that was fun, challenging those guys to become what, what they were able to become, you know, as players there. So those were fun times as a coach and, and as a player. Yeah, that's some of the favorites of my era, Saran Stacey, and, of course, Kevin Turner, still my favorite fullback of all time. But, but uh, Walter, we wanted to also ask you about the – what you've seen from Nick Saban and what he's been able to build at Alabama. And of course, you had the unique opportunity to play for Coach Bryant near the end, of course, of the, one of the most historic runs in college football. Now, Coach Saban, not many people ever thought someone could approach Coach Bryant, but Coach Saban's run has been remarkable, uh, and you've been able to see it as an alumnus of the university. Talk about what he's built and, and what you think of uh, Coach Saban and the job that he's done. Well, l- let me let me say this, you know, I love what Coach Saban is doing. You know, right. um, you, there, there's a special ingredient uh, ingredients to being a, a great coach. And and every great coach has it. And I, 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 was, I was privileged to be under Coach Bryant. He had all the ingredients of the great coach. You know, and Nick Saban, when I first met Nick, was when he came down there. You know, I had a chance to um, listen to him talk. And you know what? He was saying the same thing that Coach Bryant said. He may have said it differently, but you know what? What I've what and when what I have observed in his and his you know the, how he coaches and and, I, and I've looked at great coaches. You know, there, there's one you know there there's one formula to winning. I can't I can't sit here and tell you exactly what that formula is, but 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 if you're around a great coach, you know it when you see it. And 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 Nick Saban has it, you know. Coach Bryant has it, and I hope I hope that he's able to coach long enough to succumb, you know, Coach Bryant's record in terms of national championships. I hope that happens because he is very deserving. You know, this this year, I mean, this time in coaching in terms of restrictions that you have, and and what Coach Saban has had to master in order to be able to sustain himself, you know. You know that you know that it's outstanding. You know there to to see what he's done as relates to the type player he's having to coach, that how he's adapted to the ways and and he still won. You know Coach Bryant could recruit all the players he wanted to recruit when he was in there, but Nick is limited to thirty, and hey, mm-hmm. he's done it with thirty. You know and and hey, I mean that's that's just that's an un, that's unheard of, and he's been consistent about it. You know the process that. He talks about every great coach has a process, and that's a part that's a part of winning. You know that that's what I see. Every player, every coach, they speak the same language. If you sit and look at listen to interviews, everybody's saying the same thing. And you and to be successful at that spot in terms of coaching, you know, it's not one coach saying this, it's not one player saying that. Everybody speaks the same tune. That was what that that's what went on there with the University of Alabama when Bear Bryant was there. I experienced it, and I'm privileged to be able to have experienced that. And, and, and you know, Mr. Lewis, we have uh, in our first hour we have William Redfish Barger on the program to talk Alabama as well. <laughs> and uh, okay. he told us we're going to put you on the spot. He told us to ask you about an interaction that. The three of y'all that you two had with Miss Terry Saban when Nick when Nick came a few you know almost ten years ago now can can I put you on the spot and get that story out of you? 
Well, you know what? You, you know, you know what? I'm getting older now, and my memory is not mm-hmm. what it used to be. And you know what? That day when 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 Nick came, I met Terry. But you know, I can't exactly remember exactly what he's talking about. You're gonna to have to give it to him because it was so much going on, and there was a lot of stuff said. What Barger may have thought was something big, I may have thought it was something small, you know. So yeah. I have no clue what William's talking about. What is he talking about? Well, he just said you guys had some fun with Terry Saban and enjoyed being there. And he actually told us uh, that the ironic part is he, that's the last time he's, he uh, saw you personally uh, because he, uh-huh. he did tell us that, that you were on the coaching staff when, he, uh, of course, he – uh, when he uh, played uh, for the university in 1989 Absolutely. and you were coaching the running backs. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, he was one of my favorite people. And he said, yeah, we got a chance. That, he goes, we were both there and we got a chance to spend some quality time. And it, he just said it was a, one of his favorite memories because he enjoyed uh, playing under you at the university and thought you were a class act. And we just wanted to kind of – he wanted, he said, just remind him, that's the last time I saw uh, Walter uh, was uh, when Nick Saban. He said, and, and look where that led. He said that's a, he said he said he played for Coach Bryan and we got a chance to see Coach Saban come along and now we've seen what he's done and and now to transition Walter I wanted to ask you about the current team and, and they've got a four man battle for the quarterback position and three of those sure. guys are bring a a a, a a a a a lot of athletic ability to the table like you did to the position and one thing I wanted to ask you too do you ever go back and now look at the way college football has evolved and, and wonder. Uh, how your skill set would be in today's game? Because i got to tell you, people that I've talked to think you would be a superstar in today's game. Well, you know what? I, it's, it's, it's funny that you asked that question. Um, I uh, talked with the late Homer Smith back before he got sick, and I didn't ask him this. He just told me, so, Walter, he said, he said, if you had been playing in the offenses that they have today, he said it would have been very interesting. You've been you've been an outstanding player. And then uh I asked I actually talked with Ray, probably Ray Perkins probably two or three months ago and I asked him, I said, Coach, I said, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I sit and I wonder, you know, would my game transform to this? You know, he said, Walter. He said, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Your game would have been, you know, you know, been been outstanding in what's going on now in the in the college sport and also on the professional level. He said, Homer Smith said, Walter, you were 30 years too soon in terms yes, of the abilities that you had and being able to take, you know, put it to use and see and see what, <laughs> you know, one of the things that sticks out in my mind, like I said, you know, people don't understand, fans don't understand how important the coaching aspect of the game is. And, mm. and and being able to draw draw a picture for a player to where that player can understand that picture and go out there and implement his game within the framework of that picture, you know they don't understand how important you know coaching the great coaches are able to draw draw that picture there and that's so so important and and I you know I was very fortunate along the way to get some coaches that could do that and and, and if you, you don't find a coach that can actually break it down like that. Sometimes you know players are not able to overcome that, and they you know they don't get it, they don't make it happen. And you know this year, in terms of our team right now, you know we got four quarterbacks down there, and mm-hmm. I think all four, all four have the ability to win there at Alabama. And let me tell you why I feel that way. I feel like you know that that 
Alabama has a team. You know, it's not just offense. It's offense, defense, and it's special teams. That's one of the things that Nick Saban has built there, where all facets of the game as a team work. You know, and he has a system there that if those four quarterbacks get in there and they focus, they can make it happen, you know, for the University of Alabama this year. And it's going to be very interesting to see how Lane Kiffin plays in this equation. It's going to be very interesting to see how guys, you know, determine if they want to play that spot. And see, you know, in terms of, I don't know how much time we have, but this is a this is a very interesting subject as it relates to how to get it done. And to be that starting quarterback is kind of like what was going on in San Francisco and California back during the gold rush. You know, people would hmm. stake their claim on the land that you know so that they can mine for the gold. And see, they had veins of gold on the ground. You didn't know where the veins were, but you knew gold was there, so you would dig deep, deep down to try to find it. And see, and, and as a quarterback at Alabama, you look at it, that quarterback is either going to be under the center or he's going to be five five yards deep, you know, in the offenses that they have. Mm-hmm. And that, that square behind that center is like a two-by-two two square. And, and, and then, you know, five yards deep is a two-by-two. Two. I mean, two feet by two feet that they stand in, and, it, and, and it's, it's up to what quarterback wants to stake their claim of that two-foot-by-two-foot two square in order to be that, be that person there. That's what every quarterback has to do, especially at Alabama, is how bad you want it. How bad do you want a mind for that vein that allows you to be the man or the quarterback there for the university? And, and all four of those quarterbacks, they'll have that opportunity. Now, if you break them all down, I like Cooper Bateman. He's very athletic there. There are some things that he's going to have to refine from a technique standpoint, in my opinion, for him to be very successful there. I like uh, um, Cornwell. Cornwell's big guy reminds me of Cliff Stout. I mentioned that on another show uh, a few mm. weeks ago. Uh, you know, you know, he has to have that savvy, you know, to go, you know, to do his thing and then, then the other one's Blake Barnett. I think I mentioned that he has a little. He reminds me of Joe Willie in terms of the, you know, the, wow. how he carries himself. And you, and you mm-hmm. know what? But that can be good and that can be bad, <laughs> you know, in <laughs> right. terms of, you know, just the personality that's there, you know. So he's gonna have to, he's going to have, have to take that swagger that he has. He's gonna have to put it in a bottle and pour it out when he needs it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and make it work. And then, and then, you know, um, Jalen Hurts, you know, the, the young kid from Texas. I'm, I, I don't know. One of you may be able to remember this, but when I was a kid, there was a show that came on was called The Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, and, I've seen. And, and it I've was Lee, 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 Lee Majors. But in that, and when they when it would come on, they would say, "We're going to make him better, faster, stronger." You know, that's one of the things. Jalen Hurts. Let me tell you. To me, just looking at him. He is a better, stronger, faster Walter Lewis as a quarterback. Wow. That's what I see in that kid. How he carries himself, how he conducts himself, his athleticism, all those things, that's what I see relative to him. You know, there. You know, so, you know, and and he has the demeanor, he has the poise, all those things factor into the equation. You know, there. So, from a standpoint, of where the quarterback position, I hope they all stay there and kind of work it out in terms of the timing and with them when they play. But, uh, you know, the, the future, in my opinion, looks very bright 
at that position. And, again, I go back to that two-foot by two-foot square is who's going to stake the claim of that spot and hold it. That That's so important in the mindset of a quarterback at Alabama. It really is. And, Walter, uh, we really appreciate your time. We've come to the end of the program. Uh, we held you for a few more minutes, uh, but it was such an outstanding conversation, and it was such an honor for us to get the thoughts of one of Alabama's all-time great quarterbacks and, and talk about uh, your playing days and the past of the program and where it is now. Fascinating conversation. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for joining Thomas Watson on Bams Radio and, and just reliving some of the, uh, great, the great history of Alabama football and also talking about the future. Thank you, sir. We really appreciate it. Well, well thank you all for having me on. Yes, sir. Thank you. And uh, roll tide to you, uh, Walter. And uh, we will definitely hopefully speak with you down the road. Really appreciate it. Yeah, roll tide to you and all. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that Bye-bye. is Walter Lewis one of the great Alabama quarterbacks of all time. We hope you, all of our live listeners enjoyed that, and uh, we will podcast this. You have got to hear this conversation uh, with one of the great Tide quarterbacks uh, that ever played and also coached at the University of Alabama, running backs coach, as he said, in 1989. Uh, what a, just an outstanding representative of the university. And we have come to the end of BAMS Radio. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. It was felt like a 20-minute show, but a quick two hours, and time flies when you're having fun. Everybody, uh, SEC Media Day is now in the past. Hope you enjoy this show. We want to thank William Redfish Barger for joining us. Hope you enjoyed that audio from Bruce Feldman and the, the great Walter Lewis, one of the great interviews we've ever had on BAMS Radio. Everyone, have a great rest of your evening. Roll Tide. I'm your host, Rudy Arwin, for Thomas Watts and William Redfish Barger. We'll talk to you next Thursday.